Section 24 of The Jolly Parisienne and Other Novelets. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Indu Nair. Margot's Gallant by Emile Zola. Translated by George D. Cox. Chapter 4 More Jollification. Coqueville did not awake on the following day until the sun was well above the horizon. It was warmer even than before, and the sea lay dozing under a cloudless sky. In fact, it was just the sort of day when most pleasure is to be found in being absolutely idle. Until lunchtime, Coqueville rested after the treat of the evening before. Then everyone went down to the beach to keep a lookout. And that Wednesday, fishing, Madame Dufault and Monsieur Michel were all forgotten. La Queue and Roger did not even speak of going to pull up their baskets. About three o'clock, some casks were sighted. Four were dancing on the waves opposite the village. Both the Zephyr and the Baleine gave chase, but there was no dispute, as there was enough for all, and each boat had its share. After sailing over every inch of the little gulf, Rouget and Lacqueux came back at six o'clock with three barrels each, and again the festival began. The women had brought out some tables to be more comfortable, then seats were brought, and two open-air cafés, such as there are at Grandport, were at once established. The Mahés were on the left, and the Floches on the right, and between them there was a heap of sand. That evening, the emperor went from one group to the other with full glasses in his hands, that everyone might taste the contents of all six barrels. By nine o'clock, the scene was a much more gay and festive one than that of the evening before, and the next day, try as it would, Coqueville could not remember how it managed to get to bed. On the Thursday, the Zephyr and the Baleine only took two barrels each, but those were huge ones. On Friday, the catch was superb and quite beyond everyone's hopes. Seven barrels were brought to land, three by Rouget, four by Lacqueur. Then came golden hours for Coqueville. No one did any work. The fishermen lay in bed till noon, sleeping off their potations of the night before, and then sauntered down to the beach and gazed at the sea. Their only anxiety was as to the kind of liquor the tide was going to bring them, and they stood on the sand for hours, giving shouts of delight as soon as any wreckage appeared. The women and the children stood on top of the rocks and pointed out everything floating on the water, even to the smallest bundle of seaweed, and the zephyr and the baleine 
were kept in readiness to go out to sea at any moment. They set off and tacked about the gulf, fishing for casks as they might have done for tunny, quite despising the mackerel which leaped in the sunlight and the soles which floated lazily along at the top of the water. Coqueville watched the fishers from the shore and burst its sides with laughing. Then, in the evening, the catch was drunk. What delighted Coqueville most was that the supply of casks did not cease. The wrecked vessel must have had a large cargo, and Coqueville, now selfish and gay, joked about the lost ship, which, folks said, was a regular wine cellar, containing enough liquor to intoxicate all the fish in the sea. They never caught two barrels alike. The casks were of all shapes, sizes, and colors, and each contained a different liquid. The emperor fell into profound reveries. He, who had drunk everything, could no longer give an opinion. And Lacqueur himself declared he had never seen such a cargo. The Abbe Radiguet believed it had been destined for some savage king who had wished to stock his cellar. But the rest of Coqueville no longer even tried to find out what they were drinking. The elder ladies preferred the liquors flavoured with mocha, peppermint and vanilla. And Marie Rouget drank so much aniseed one evening that it made her perfectly ill. Margot and the other young ladies devoted themselves to Curaçao, Benedictine, Trappistine and Chartreuse, while the Cassis was given to the children. The men were naturally most pleased when the catch included cognac, rum or gin. A barrel of raki from Chio stupefied Coqueville, who thought it had got hold of a cask of turpentine. All the same, it was drunk, because it is not right to waste anything, but it was talked about for a long time. Batavian Arak, Swedish brandy, Romanian Tsuika Kalagareska, Servian Slivovitz, also upset all Coquevillian ideas about what was fit to drink. But there was a general leaning towards Kummel and Kiesch, liquors clear as water and strong enough to kill a man. How could so many good things have been invented? At Coqueville, brandy had been the only drink known, and all the inhabitants were not even acquainted with that. A veritable worship for this inexhaustible variety of intoxicants began to spring up. Oh, to get drunk every evening on something different, and of which even the name was unknown. It seemed like a fairy tale, in which there is a magic fountain spouting forth strange alcoholic liquids, perfumed and flavoured with all the flowers and fruits in creation. As has been said, there were seven barrels on the sands on Friday evening. Coqueville now simply lived on the beach, which, thanks to the mildness of the weather, it could do with comfort. Never had there been so fine a week in September. The feast had lasted since Monday, 
and there was no reason why it should not last forever, if only providence, for in this affair the Abbe Radiguet discerned the finger of providence, would continue to send them casks. All work was suspended, and everyone for the time being was a gentleman, and a gentleman who drank expensive liquors without having to pay for them. Coqueville put its hands in its pockets and basked in the sun while it waited for the evening carols. Besides, it was never sober. One after another it tried the joys of Kamel, Kiesch, and Ratafia, and in the course of a week it had experienced the angers of gin, the soft-heartedness of curaçao, and the laughter of brandy. For Coqueville, in the innocent way of a newborn child, thankfully drank whatever heaven sent it. It was on the Friday that the Mahes and the Flushes fraternized. Everyone was merry that evening, and even on the night before, the distance between the two groups had been lessened, for the most intoxicated had trodden down the heap of sand, and now there was only about a foot of it between the two parties. The flushes were emptying their four casks, while the mahes were making an end of three little barrels of liquors, the colours of which were the same as those of the French flag red white and blue the flushes were filled with envy and jealousy whenever they saw the blue for a blue liquor seemed to them something really wonderful and at last laqueur who had turned quite good-natured now that he was never sober came forward glass in hand thinking that it was his place as mayor to make the first advance i say rouget he stuttered Will you drink with me? Certainly, replied Rouget, whose emotion made him real. They fell on each other's necks, and everyone wept. The scene was so touching. Then the Mahes and the Floches, who had been ready to cut each other up for the last three hundred years, kissed and shook each other by the hand. And the Abbe Radiguet, who was very much affected, again spoke of the finger of Providence. Then they all toasted one another in the red, white, and blue liquors, and the emperor cried, Here's to France! The blue was not up to much, and the white was hardly any better, but the red met with great approval. The flush's barrels were next attacked, and then a dance was got up. As there was no music, some of the young fellows whistled and clapped their hands to keep time, and the girls danced with spirit. The spree was really assuming magnificent proportions. The seven casks were placed side by side, and everyone took what he liked best. Those who had had enough lay down on the sand and slept for a little while, and when they woke up, began to drink again. The number of dancers increased, and the ball was continued until midnight. The waves broke on the beach with a faint noise. The stars were shining in a deep blue sky. It was like the peacefulness of a newly created world around a tribe of savages intoxicated by their first draught of brandy.
However, when there was nothing left to drink, Coqueville at last went indoors, Floches and Mahes helping one another to the best of their ability and ending by somehow finding their beds. On the Saturday, the spree was kept up till nearly two o'clock in the morning. Six casks, two of which were huge ones, had been caught that day, and during the evening, Fouas and Chupin almost came to blows. Chupin, who was very bad-tempered when he was drunk, talked of making an end of his brother, but this quarrel shocked everybody, Floches as well as Mahes. Was there any sense in still disagreeing when all the village had made it up and forgotten old scores? The two brothers were forced to drink together, and, as they still looked sulky, the emperor determined to keep his eye on them. The Rougets did not get on very well together either. When Marie had drunk some aniseed liquor, she lavished endearments on Brismont which Rouget was unable to witness unmoved. Besides, drink made him tender and affectionate, and he wanted to be loved and caressed himself. It was in vain that the Abbe Radiguet exhorted them to be forgiving. Bah, said Lacqueux, you'll see they'll make it up if there's a good catch tomorrow. Your health. Still, Lacqueux himself was not perfect. He had not ceased to watch Delphin, and as soon as he saw him near Margot, he gave him a kick. This made the emperor very indignant, for it was not reasonable to prevent two young people laughing together. But Lacquer still swore that he would kill Margot rather than give her to the boy. Besides, Margot herself did not want him. You don't, do you? You are too proud ever to marry a beggar, aren't you? he cried. Yes, papa, answered Margot. On Saturday, Margot drank a great deal of some syrupy liquor, and as she had no idea of its strength, she soon found herself sitting on the ground beside the cask. She sat there, laughing to herself, for she felt as if she were in paradise. She could see stars around her, and it seemed as if dance music were being played inside her head. While she was like this, Delphin slipped into the shadow of the barrel, and taking her hand, asked, Tell me, Margot, will you? She still smiled. Finally, she answered, It's Papa who won't hear of it. Oh, that doesn't matter, said the lad. Old people, you know, are always against it. But if you are willing, and getting bolder, he dropped a kiss on her neck. She drew up her head, but a little shiver ran all down her back. Have done, you tickle me, she exclaimed. But she no longer said anything about boxing his ears. In the first place, because she would not have been able to do so. Her hands felt so lazy, and secondly, because she liked to have her neck kissed. It made her feel deliciously drowsy, like the liquors, and after a time she began moving her head and holding out her chin, 
like a cat who wants to be caressed there just under the ear she murmured oh that's lovely they both forgot la queue but fortunately the emperor was on the watch look there your reverence he said pointing out the couple to the abbe radiguet it would be better to marry them it certainly would answered the priest he undertook to speak to la queue on the subject the following day in the meantime la queue had drunk so much that the emperor and the priest had to carry him home on the way they tried to talk to him but they could get nothing from him but a grunt behind them walked delphin with margot on his arm by four o'clock the next day the zephyr and the baleine had hooked up seven barrels by six o'clock the zephyr had found two more which made nine altogether and coqueville had a merry sunday it was the seventh day running that it had been drunk and the spree was perfect such a spree as had never been seen before and would never be seen again just mention it in lower normandy and people will answer you with a laugh ah yes we know all about the spree at coqueville End of section 24